Why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? You're now listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I'm Chris Miranda, your host. And on today's show, I'm speaking with Lear Synod. Man, yeah, this is, um, I tried. I'm sorry, Lear, but your name is too awesome for my mouth. Uh, (laughs) No problem. problem. uh, How do you pronounce it properly? Just so that we can have that on record. It's Lear Ap Kenneth. Whoa. Okay, that's cool. Well, Lear, let's let's move. Let's go on with the show. Um, you're the creator of Ocean Rift and Crashland, and those are really, those are two really tight experiences. Um, and Ocean Rift being one of my just, I think the potential for Ocean Rift is insane, and that's we're gonna, um, um, yeah, we're gonna get in there very soon, but, um. Yeah, walk me through your story behind how you got involved into VR in the first place, actually. Okay, so um, so I have a background in computer graphics. Um, that's, I'm an academic, so that's basically what I research in. Uh, 3D graphics, real-time graphics, animation. Um, and so I, I wasn't really you know, waiting for VR to turn up or anything. Um, you know, we didn't get the virtual boy or any of that stuff. We, you know, we don't really have arcades in the UK. Um, so I never saw VR until kind of John Carmack started showing stuff, but Kickstarter, like a lot of people did. And when I got the device, I mean, there was very little to play. There was Tuscany, um, you know, maybe maybe Titans of Space or one of the other demos, early demos were out. But I had to basically make my own fun. Hmm. Um, so I, I just I placed a, a whale underwater. By underwater, I just mean, you know, blue fog and unity. And it just blew my mind that, you know, just something as simple as that could be so evocative when you see it in VR. It's like this giant thing moving above your head. Um, and basically, it's just been an organic thing from that point, really, just building on top of it and seeing what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Well, what is it about 3D graphics that draws you in that makes you wake up every day and go back at it? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. That's a tough question. Um, you know, I've always been into video games, and you know, growing up from I don't know Commodore sixty four and Amiga onwards, I, I used to always just look at the graphics and wonder, you know, how they made stuff. It's always been an interest to me to kind of merge together animation and and artificial intelligence and stuff like that. So I guess it all comes from from there, from just this fascination with with graphics. Hmm. Being a researcher in in this field. Uh, and uh, sorry if I'm, 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 I bring this up too early in the podcast, but where do you think the future of 3D graphics is headed in? It's all headed, well, I think it's headed to VR, really. Um, you know, th- stereo 3D now is just, is just nothing compared to, you know, the, the kind of immersion you can get in VR. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so graphics are always you know we're always aiming for the elusive goal of photorealism i mean games are always doing that every generation is you know games are still primarily sold on the visuals the graphics um so yeah it's just a a constant ongoing kind of um march towards that photorealism cool and walk me through your story behind ocean rift and, and crash land and how did you arrive at those two uh, sort of uh, ideas to bring up in, into VR. Okay, so Ocean Rift, um, as I said, it, you know, it started with a whale, just a whale model, not even animated. I mean, it was literally like a balloon floating above my head. 
Um, and that was, you know, on maybe the Friday. And by the Monday, I had Ocean Rift as it existed initially as the demo. Um, so I basically just added animals in, added sharks in, um, added, you know, experimented with sound effects and particle systems and stuff like that, just trying to get a feel of what wasn't in VR. I think Ocean Rift, um, it, it worked very well because, you know, you're wearing goggles when you're underwater and you're wearing goggles in VR. So that kind of restrictive, kind of low, lower FOV than what we have in reality um, definitely helped. And basically, you know, I'm only one guy working in my spare time. So once I had the, the kind of seed of the idea of Ocean Rift, I've just been building upon it ever since, really. And uh, what's the story behind uh, Crashland? How did Crashland come about? Uh, so, so Crashland, I saw, I remember seeing a, vid, a really early video of someone just, um, I think it was Teddy, Ted or Teddy, one of the early kind of um, experimentation into motion control that we were using. He was using a Razor Hydra. Uh, and I just took that idea, you know, p put it in VR, um, gave, gave myself a body, made the body move. As I moved my arms, the body would also move. Um, then, I, you know, I made a terrain that was just Martian. Um, and just before you know it, I had Starship Two presented my head and I had these giant alien monsters just running towards me. Um, I did a lot of work during my PhD into animation of um, all kinds of different animals with, with a lot of limbs. Um, and so a lot of that kind of AI research came into it then into how to animate, you know, and I got into procedural animation and how to, how to animate stuff in a more interesting way, um, than, you know, the normal way of doing things. Yeah. I came to, uh, find out about you through two different means. One was through a road to VR article that had some of your work on it. And it was about sure. exactly this, uh, procedural, uh, animations with uh, avatars and then another one was um, someone on the podcast mentioned your name and I can't remember who so I apologize for that <laughs> but but uh, but but I was like okay this 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 person is popping up and they, they might and and then I checked and it was you you're the developer of Ocean Rift of course that's uh, definitely one of my like just really I, I Again, the potential for that experience is insane, and I'm gonna get there later. <laughs> I keep saying that, okay. but I, can you explain to me what um, like explain it to me like I'm five years old how procedural uh, techniques work? Okay, so so procedural animation um, is where you animate a virtual character or creature using um, algorithms. So. You know, traditional animation is where you animate stuff by either motion capturing a human or, you know, you could try it with an animal, but mostly with, with anything non-human, you actually do the animations, you know, manually. You have a team of animators that put together a library of possible things that a, a character can do. Um, so that's the traditional way. And then the computer basically just searches through that series of animation clips like walk, run, jump, turn left, turn right, and builds up the motion of the, the character. But fundamentally, the character is not being controlled by physics. It's not moving one leg in front of the other. It's not flicking its tail. It's just playing something back. Um, so procedural animation kind of tries to animate stuff by, I like the phrase, it's like a puppet pulling its own strings. So the idea that the character is actually animating itself. So you animate through simulation as opposed to, you know, playing something back. Simulation. Can you expand more on how a simulation works? How, do, how does it actual? I mean, what is the computer, if it doesn't have a library to 
go after, then where is it getting its, um, you know, its sets of movements from? Um, so that's, it, there's lots of different ways of doing it. I mean, if you look at probably the most um, simple example I can give is maybe a sea snake. So you have a model of a sea snake, just a mesh, just a series of polygons, and running through it, you'd have a skeleton, which is basically just a series of points that are linked together in a chain. Um, and you can vary the angle of each. So if you if you move one of the joints, every other joint follows. Hmm. So what you can then do, because you have all these joints, all these bones, as they're called in animation, you can change the rotations on them. So if you have an algorithm, for instance, that sends waves, pulses of waves through the skeleton, you can make the sea snake swim. You can make it you know, move from side to side, up and down, whatever you want. By varying the pulses, varying the speed, the frequency, the amplitude, and so on, you can get all kinds of different behaviors. Um, and there you have it. You've got, you know, you've got basically the animation system for a sea snake. Um, to go to the other extreme, if you look at a game like, like 05 or Red Dead Redemption or Max Payne 3, that, you know, all Rockstar games, they use um, what neural networks, basically, so like an artificial brain that's controlling virtual muscles. So when the character starts falling over, signals are sent to the muscle, similar to the snake. Um, but this time, you know, it's the character stopping itself from falling or it's too drunk to stand and stuff like that. So it kind of fills the gap between data-driven. Um, that's usually how procedural animation is at the moment. It's used as an augmentation to regular animation. Um, you know, all the best kind of animation systems that drive games like GTA and The Last of Us and stuff, they will blend, they will use data-driven as a base, but then they will expand upon it with different kind of procedural systems. So my next question was headed in that direction that you just pointed out with The Last of Us and GTA. Are there, uh, you know, are there examples of AAA studios and AAA titles using this technology already? Uh, pardon my ignorance, but I'm just kind of curious because I don't, this is your... I, uh, aside <laughs> yeah, sure. from No Man's Sky, you're the second person that brings up procedural uh, animation. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, procedural animation is, sorry, procedural generation is used an awful lot. I mean, Minecraft uses that to create environments. No Man's mm. Sky, the same. They create all their worlds that way. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the space games coming through, like Elite, for instance, also uses it. But for animation, it's, it's relatively rare. Um, Grand Theft Auto, um, they they use it basically. It's it's mostly for subconscious behaviors, so like a character falling over, getting shot, and stuff like that. The the motion where it's basically um, you just want it to stop itself from falling or, or to have some something interesting happen, completely situational. So if the character's falling downstairs, it will behave differently to if it's you know um, walking in front of a car or whatever. Um, and other examples. Um, yeah, The Last of Us, it'll be stuff like, you know, where Joel, where, where the main character is gazing, you know, where it's, it, as it's walk, as he's walking through the scene, obviously you're in control of where he's walking. Um, so if there's something interesting to the left, he might glance over. So you didn't actually control that, but it'll just be a tiny little addition to the walk it more believable. Um, other stuff is like when he picks up, um, you know, items in the world the hand will reach out and grasp for that item. It won't grasp close to the item. It'll actually touch the item and pull it in. Again, that's procedural animation being used on top of regular animation. So it's kind of being used to fill in the gaps. It's another sort of, you know, five-year-old question, but do you think it'd be, is it, is it possible? Are there examples already of procedural generation and animation being used in the same game, in the same uh, title? 
Um, it's very, and you know, not this is not regularly. This stuff isn't published. You have to guess, so you have to kind of, you know, there are telltale signs that something's procedural. It's basically if it's completely situational, if it's completely random every time. You know, you don't see the same animation. You see variants of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very fuzzy. I mean, you know, what's procedural, what isn't? There's very few games that are hundred percent procedural. For example. Um, you know, there's, a, I think there's a game called Summatory Dreams or something similar where you're basically moving these kind of, um, sumo wrestlers around and that's completely physics driven. Um, but yeah, stuff like, I think Gang Beasts, which is a co-op game that just came out. Um, I'm, that looks like it's procedurally animated, the way the characters move and interact with each other. There's a lot of physics being thrown in. So it, that kind of, that kind of system is usually, yes, yeah, procedural at its core. So, so No Man's Sky, for example, they say that they're procedurally generated, and f- for that reason, they'll say that they that the game goes on forever or could go on forever. Um, could that? How does that? Def- how does that creation of that universe? How would that differ from, for example, bringing those same principles to a game such as Ocean Rift? Do you think it'd be possible to create a jo- uh, an, um, an Ocean Rift where? the world itself is procedurally generated and the characters inside the avatars are procedurally animated is that a, is that a possibility or is, is... Uh, yeah it's a, it's a possibility i don't do any procedural generation of terrain i wish i did for the amount of hours i've spent you know putting grass in place and putting rocks everywhere i wish an algorithm handled that for me um normal sky what they basically did is they ge- they procedurally generate every planet every Um, you know, every creature, the colors, the color scheme, the, the, the shapes of the animals, how long their legs are, how long their necks are, you know, if they have feathers or not and stuff like that. So it's more about generation of content. Um, I think in No Man's Sky, they actually, there's so many planets being generated that they send around automated bots to look at each planet and try to filter out good ones and take five second clips of each one so they can actually manage that much information coming in. Um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love Ocean Rift to be completely procedural. Currently, it's only the animals. Um, and a lot of it is basically because, you know, I'm one guy working in his spare time. I can't compete with, you know, an animation studio of like 10, 20 guys. Um, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of the big companies, if they want to animate a dolphin, they just put five guys on it for a few months and they come out with amazing dolphin animations. I have to basically create a synthetic, you know, animation team. I have to write it as, you know, an AI basically that controls everything. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, what comes out the other side for, at least for animation is, uh, you know, for instance, a virtual dolphin that swims completely autonomously. You know, that's every time you, you visit the dolphin environment in Ocean Rift, they will be just be swimming around. There is no, you know, they're, they're moving, they're jumping in and out of the water, they're doing barrel rolls, they're twisting, they're turning. Um, and every time you go in, they'll be doing different things. And they will also, you know, as you move through the environment, that will influence the animation. So it's, it just expands the possibility of what you see, really. Yeah, it's amazing. And it, I can't find a way to wrap my head around how it is that it actually works because it's just it's I, 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 i'm sorry i have to be a little bit honest here it's it's a bit above my um my my my, my uh, sort of uh things that i focus on or eventually i think i'll i'll, I'll become become more of 
I'll start understanding a little bit better. But yeah, as of now, you are speaking to an ape uh, in terms of my understanding of this. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I'm going to ask you some more questions that are uh, perhaps uh, uh, you know elementary. So the next one that I have is uh, so if if you could hypothetically speaking create a game like Ocean Rift, for example, uh, off of procedurally generated terrain and procedurally animated avatars, you know, is it, do you think that procedural techniques could replace game developers eventually or animators eventually? Is, is that a possibility? Because they're just going to become, because this, these tools are going to become so good at doing what they do that, you know, you won't need as many people to create uh, a, a lot of content. Um, I don't know if it'll replace. I mean, I guess eventually. Um, I think it, it makes the animator's life easier when you have these procedural technologies sitting on top of what they've already got. Um, I think for stuff, for some of those simpler animals, um, it, it's it's definitely you know once you have a you you can very easily simulate not easily i mean you will eventually be able to easily simulate a lot of animals on earth or or, or animals that are based on animals on earth um using ai i mean once you have a brain of a shark that swims like a shark that flicks muscles like a shark there's no reason to have an animal because the actual synthetic one will always you know behave like a shark Um, unless you're going for some character. I think character is the important bit, um, especially as you climb the food chain. I mean, once you get to humans, you know, a human being can do something just with one muscle twitch of their eye that a procedural system would, you know, it's going to be generations before that kind of nuance can be found. Hmm. I mean, I was, you know, I was just playing through the DLC of The Last of Us and just some of the facial expressions, just one little twitch of an eye muscle gives so much character away. You know, but but even to the fundamentals of walking, for instance, I mean, everybody walks differently. You can probably, there's probably hundreds of walks, or, you know, in your head that you, you can recognize someone from far away as a person that you know, subconsciously based on just the way they walk. If everybody, you know, if somebody's happy, they walk differently. If they're sad, you know, everybody, you know, you can have a spring in your step, for instance, mm -hmm. that kind of system is for a procedural system to do you know i can i can simulate a shark or a dolphin or a spider or whatever and it will appear realistic to you because you don't really have a frame of reference um for how these animals actually move with the same level of inbuilt kind of you know subconscious that you do for humans um so yeah as it gets more towards character and intelligence it gets tougher um to do um, but having uh, sorry go ahead go ahead sorry Yeah, um, so I did some experiments, for instance, with in VR um, with eye tracking. Um, so I have the character, I had some zombie, basically, that would just track you as you walked around, as you walked in and out of its view. Mm -hmm. it, it would move its neck and move its eyes. But it only really got in, you know, it, it was okay when the eyes were just following you. But when I added the ability for the eyes to flick randomly to different bits of your face... It added so much character to the to the to the zombie. It was like it was studying you. There was an actual perceived intelligence there because it's like looking at your mouth, looking at your hairline, looking at your your eyes. You know, gazing away and then gazing back. So just little touches like that. It's going to take a long time before there's enough of them that a procedural system could completely replace the human element. Yeah, speaking of nuance, there there is so much nuance in the real world. Um, there was this article on. Uh, a uh, legitimate 
website that I was reading that said that um, people who've just had an orgasm will walk differently, like their gait uh, <laughs> is differently uh, based on how far how recently they've, they've orgasmed. Uh, so yeah, like, and that's just like one thing, you know, there's just so many nuances, just especially like what you said in the eyes. And uh, I wonder, like, um, just talking, going back to the limits of procedural, you know, can, can you be more, a bit more specific, um, as to where the boundaries lie in terms of procedural and, and, and are, are they being pushed and how far along are they? Uh, yeah, they are. They're certainly being pushed. I think. I think there's something to be said for um, for how the, the human mind has an amazing ability of kind of filling in the gaps in an animation system. Um, I, I briefly mentioned. I mean, during during my early days researching, I looked at the way creatures with a low sense of gravity, like a lizard or a spider or something like that, can climb up a wall. Um, and I wrote a very kind of deceptively simple algorithm that allowed them to walk up walls, um, which was really, really simple. But when you take, you know, but it would take the, the, the animal longer to climb a wall than the real life equivalent would. It would struggle as it, as it climbed up the wall. But your brain wouldn't perceive that as being an algorithm performing poorly. You would just see an animal try to climb a wall. So procedural animation does get a lot of help just from the human brain. You know, when you see, as long as the, the actual creature or character is, is following the laws of physics, you know, it's not doing stuff that, that breaks reality for your, for your brain, you will just, you'll fill in the gaps. You'll just, you know, assume that it's, it's up to something. Um, that's one of the interesting things I think about procedural animation. So, but it's very difficult to see, um, where you know procedural animation it's a research field you know there's a lot of this stuff that works a lot of stuff that doesn't and they don't necessarily you know complement each other um yes it's a really difficult question to answer interesting um and so in the spirit of you know learning and pushing the boundaries of knowledge how can people uh, learn more uh about procedural animation and how can the how, how can so how can they learn more? And is there a set of tools or libraries that you can use out the box for your particular experience? Can people use current procedural animation tools and techniques to build things right now as we speak? Um, are they available? It's, it's pretty rare. I mean, there's probably some AI, you know, the, the procedural animation is closely tied into AI. You're basically creating a, a digital AI, a digital robot. So there's all kinds of probably you know, things people have released online for free. There's not really much in terms of commercial, you know, forgive me, I don't know of any. Mm -hmm. um, I know stuff like 3D Studio Max, one of the best modeling packages, has all kinds of small tools, like there's a CAT animation system, it's called the CAT animation system, where basically you, you describe a skeleton, it could be a human, a horse, a, you know, a, a dragon or whatever, and then you, you give them basically a bunch of sliders that you can change and that will change how it walks, how it, you know, does it move its head up and down as it walks? How do the hips swing side to side? Hundreds of parameters that you can control. Um, that doesn't generate an animation, you know, real-time animation system that, that walks and moves around and behaves, but it does automatically kind of help out in the construction of animation clips or animation sequences. Um, so there's all kinds of little tools available, but um, actual tools to create procedural animation, um, 
natural motion used to be able, you know, the, the, the technology behind GTA and Red Dead Redemption and stuff, there used to be a way of getting that for free or a certain, you know, the Euphoria engine or what it, the Endorphin engine, you could play around with it, but I don't know what that, what state that's in now. Hmm. Yeah, the Red just you mentioned Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption has the best looking horses um, in gaming, or they've had the best looking horses for a while. Just the way they gallop and stuff—they're so majestic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That will be a mixture. I think they did motion. I don't know how, but they motion captured some horses for that. Um, but on top of it, yeah, there's a procedural animation running there that's um, you know controlling, especially if they stumble or fall. Um, yeah, that, that's when the algorithm takes over. So I have this idea uh, for uh, for business, and if you're out there and you're gonna do it, just send me a check. At, uh, <laughs> but but it, I was wondering, you know, because the Unity Store has a store where a Unity Store has a store. Uh, the Unity has a store where people can buy assets and libraries and animations and textures. Um, could could you or could is it possible for someone to be able to sell? an actual dolphin the whole thing like you know you're gonna get it's gonna be procedurally animated and it's you know set to go so just drop in the middle of your ocean and let them go like yes, like you can have yeah. all Eventually, all the animals I, I, <laughs> I think i think currently i mean that's still, the dolphins and the sharks and stuff like that are the secret weapon of ocean rift so i wouldn't put it up on the asses store um <laughs> but you know eventually yes of course i mean you could the, the, the whole idea is plug and play, right? I mean, you, the fact you buy something, yeah, and you can drop it into the ocean and it just swims around. You can do that stuff with um, schools of fish. You know, you, there's an asset that lets you um, simulate how fish swim. You know, fish, the, groups of fish will get together and they will do something called schooling, which is very similar to the way birds flock in the sky. Um, really simple to, to actually simulate using procedural techniques. So you can already buy stuff like this, but yeah, um, uh, there's probably not that big a market for it, um, you know, um, at the moment. Not yet, not yet, at least. But uh, no, yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, soon there will be people who will be like, you know what? I want a, I want a dolphin, a pet dolphin to follow me around. That'd be yeah, cool yeah. <laughs> in VR. <laughs> it, it's it's all code in the end, so yeah, it's easily easily put up. Yeah. Interesting. Talk to me about the process of creating these animals. Uh, did you watch a lot of nature documentaries to be able? Uh, I mean, where did you get the reference? for how they move or, or, you know, how did you know, you know, like how, yeah, what was the process of that, putting that together? A lot of YouTube. Um, yeah, a lot of nature programs. The BBC do amazing kind of natural history documentaries. Uh, so I Netflix, you know, watched that. I had a notepad, wrote down what I thought were interesting animals. Uh, for sharks, I watched Jaws, for instance. You know, that was a huge inspiration. There's like in Ocean Rift, there's like a one in a hundred chance, I think, of a shark, 24 foot long, the size of Jaws appearing. Um, so there's all, all kinds of little kind of influences all over the place. But basically, it, it, you know, once you give these animals a backbone and, you know, you, you, you make them animate, you just have YouTube open, you look at the way they move and you try to replicate it. I mean, dolphins, for instance, do a lot of barrel rolls. You know, they'll come up to you, they'll, they'll slow down and then they'll start spinning or they'll start twirling around so it's about trying to come up with some kind of code some algorithm that lets them do that and once the once the barber rolling is in you start thinking okay what else can we build on top of this and so the algorithms 
it's almost like a bunch of different algorithms that all kind of, you know, out of the chaos comes this animation system. Um, but yeah, you know, influences mostly videos. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, how can are, are these algorithms or the way with which you can learn these algorithms is it public is is there public know like information out there like youtube tutorials or or um... i don't think yeah i don't think there's youtube tutorials um this is very you know um very specialized you know it's, it's quite difficult to do these algorithms even though it's quite when you look under the hood they're quite simple mm -hmm. You know, for instance, the, the, the big animals in Ocean Reef, the orcas, the, you know, the dolphins and the sharks and so on, there's hundreds upon hundreds of sliders that will behave. And that's, you know, um, it takes a long time to come up with them. Um, hmm. Yeah. And so the cool thing about Ocean Rift is every time you go in there, it, it is, it's, a, a, it's a different experience because the animals are behaving randomly and are traversing the place and so they'll appear in different places that that it's that's really cool like you're giving the user uh and was that i was I'm, and i'm wondering if that was intentional are you're giving the user a a, 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 a how do you say replayability a, a good chunk of replayability because of this design decision was that an intended thing or was that something that you know came out as a bonus by accident it's a, yeah it's a mixture of both i mean it, it's definitely intended um you know I'm a, i'm a long time advocate of procedural animation for that reason it's always different it's always situational um i mean it, i i can't really you know if you look at sony sony for instance have a shark cage demo that they show for project morpheus um that shark animates beautifully um you know when it attacks the cage it takes a chunk a bite out of the float i think on, on one of the cages on one of the you know the floats on top of the cage and you see the gums actually retract or whatever you know the the, the skin retracts over the gums as it bites and stuff but the thing is every time you go into that demo it's like a roller coaster ride it'll always look the same um so on the other hand my sharks i mean ocean rift basically is just like it's like a it's it's a cousin of the walking simulator basically you know th there's not much um interaction there apart from just being in the wild with these animals so the more realistic the more organic they behave yeah the more the more interesting it is to go back you know more than once yeah. um the shark still surprises me it'll just come out you know from nowhere um, if you know, if you're in open water and you know there's a shark about and it's AI controlled and you have no idea when it's going to attack you, if it's even, if it even knows you're there, it, it just heightens the, the, you know, the immersion, the believability all experience. Yes, it definitely does. How does the, how does the animal become aware of you? Does it have like a, like a, like a, you know, a, a box that if you step in that box area, then it's like there, you're there. Uh, how does it, how does it become aware of you? I don't like to reveal the secrets <laughs> because, because then you, yeah, you, you see behind the, um, the sharks, it, it, basically when you boil it down to algorithms, yeah, it's a box or a sphere or something, but I like to think of it as a, you know, a sense of smell. Uh -huh. If you're close enough, there's a higher chance that it knows where you are. It, um, the dolphins, um, do something similar, you know, the exact same algorithm runs, but instead of, you know, coming to eat you, it'll come for a cuddle. So it's just different variations on the same kind of systems. Interesting. I you know I think the the fact that you could perhaps just add a little bit more like uh, you know the release of pheromones or smells and you can somehow visualize those smells in VR and then 
you know you can see the or you can see the trajectory of the the, the shark's nose like where it is and your smell is like oh my god i'm leaving a path right for it um <laughs> yeah that, that'd be cool yeah that would be interesting um, uh, I developed. I mean, Ocean Rift was primar- the, the Ocean Rift I'm working on currently. Um, a lot of the tech was developed for mobile, so yeah, I have to pick and choose what I simulate, really. Yeah, and going in that vein, what is what was the goal like uh, for you starting the project, and 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 as you're going along, are you keeping on the same goals, um, or have they changed? Uh, there's kind of two tracks for the Ocean Rift. There's two tracks. Um, the first, the first one was basically for the for the PC version, the initial version. I wanted just to create an open world where you just explore and you come across different animals randomly. You know, you might be swimming along for half an hour and suddenly a, a giant whale swims above your head and stuff. Um, when I joined the the Gear VR project um, earlier in the year, my priorities had to change slightly in that you can't just have a massive open world running on a, on a smartphone. It just is impossible. So I had to basically break Ocean Rift up into habitats. So it's more like a safari park then where, okay, let's go visit the dolphins and you enter the dolphin environment, which is still like a kilometer squared, but, you know, dolphins. When you want to go see the killer whales or the dinosaurs or whatever, you you move to a different habitat. So but the overall experience, the animals are the same, you know. So, so in terms of actual coding and in terms of the amount of time spent is mostly spent just getting the underlying algorithms to work you know um, if i want to introduce new animals for instance it's quite relatively simple because i already have the ai and the animation system in place what have you learned about creating for vr uh now so so that you would have liked to have known when you first started this project interesting um yeah, I, I don't actually. The prop, the one of the big problems is, especially on mobile, is you don't know how much resource you have before the thing overheats. For instance, um, I wish I'd known how far I could push this kind of device at the start. I probably could have gotten away with a completely open world had I had I coded for it. It just wasn't worth the risk. Um, so there's always stuff like that. There's always trade offs. The dolphins, for instance, have like five bones in their tail. I could probably double that to ten, which would make them more smooth in, in the way they move. There's always stuff that you can do, um, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's an, it's an ongoing process. This is, you know, bleeding-edge stuff. It's very difficult to predict what will work or what won't until you try. You are certainly at the edge of knowledge, for sure. Um, and I, I will now uh, perhaps keep um sort of asking you questions and at the edge because what are the current limitations of the the current hardware that you're working on and can you be more specific as because because if i'm a developer um i i i need that information is very very valuable to me to you know in order for me to create something for gear vr for example um yeah um i think i think it applies to gear vr it it sort of applies to the day two and, and you know the, the consumer release too and that you, you have to hit to get you know, a good idea of presence and stuff like that you need you need to be targeting 75 90 frames a second if not more um on gear vr you need to maintain 60 as much as you can um so there's always a need for optimization and to make things run as smoothly as possible and not a waste resource um, for Gear VR, the big problem I found is it would be fine for 10 minutes, but then it would, it would, you'd run into thermal throttling. The phone would have to slow itself down because it was getting too warm. 
You know, these things are not traditionally designed for running 3D graphics for long periods of time, especially VR at 60 frames a second. Um, so, yeah, it, it's about basically adhering to whatever um, Oculus and John Carmack's best practices are, you know, in terms of how many things you can draw on screen, how many polygons you can draw. Try to keep them to a minimum. Mm. Um, not waste resources. You know, the, for instance, there's many ways of streaming sound into a device or, or, on mobile, for instance, and finding the correct one so that the sound is streamed with as little overhead as possible is, is very important. That could be the difference between having you know, one shark in a scene and five, you know, because you're, you're saving the resource for where it truly matters. Why is the hardware over, overheating? What What's happening in, under the hood? Uh, can you can you please enlighten me on what's happening under... Are you able, actually? Because... Uh, it's, it's a matter of physics, basically. There's no fan. If, you know, there's no arctic cooling. There's no mm -hmm. liquid coolant system. There's nowhere for the heat to go. Uh, so physics, it just, it gets warmer. Yeah. Um, are so there any solutions sorry. in the back of your head that you think could be used or are being utilized to uh, help that issue out? There's not much you can you can really do except optimize your your code. You know, or take design decisions to to limit you know how hot something gets. Hmm. Um, I'm sure it's a similar thing for development on all mobile platforms. Um, the only the, the problem with VR is, of course, if you drop below 60 frames a second, it turns into an awful user experience, lane warp and stuff that smooths over a lot of stuff. Um, but still, yeah, it, it can really influence how nice of an experience it is if that frame rate starts dropping. Mm. So forgive me if my if I'm completely off on this assumption, but I'm under the assumption that uh, so so currently we use silicon wafers to create chips that computers carry right and yeah. uh there's this development or there's this other material in development called graph graphene and graphene could have an immense boost uh into how much processing a, a, a chip can do um how is is it am i correct is graphene going to be is, is graphene in the horizon do you think that's possible and if if it were possible what would be the implications for vr i don't i don't know much about hardware um sorry to say i don't i don't know what the cutting edge is i'm sure it, you know mobile technology is a driving force behind a lot of stuff at the moment mm. um i think eventually i mean there's numerous interviews with oculus where they say similar things that the end goal of vr is mobile it makes a huge difference not having that wire, not having it be tethered. Yeah. Um, you, you don't have to invite someone to your room with a you know a, a thousand, two thousand dollar desktop computer to run your your demo. You can just throw the device at grandma and tell her to have a go. You know, it's it's much more portable. Um, so as technology advances and we get to make more interesting experiences that can run on mobile, I think its advantages will outweigh you know the need for a cable. Yeah, it's the, it's definitely the future. Wireless is the way to go. But going back to Ocean Rift, and sorry for going back and forth everywhere, all over oh. the place. <laughs> Who was it for? Who did you create it for? Um, how would you categorize it, classify it? Is it a game? Is there a, a mini vacation? Is it a, a tour? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty much yeah, it's a mini vacation. It's like a, a like a nature documentary. You can actually go into the screen, you know. Um, uh, it's 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 been an organic process. I mean, as as I get more 
realistic organic behaviors out of the animals the focus shifts um i could never if i was just using data driven animation i could never get away with uh, you know trying to to have just something where you you see the same animation all the time people will get bored really quickly ocean rift is is predominantly it, it, i mean it's it's a glorified tech demo in some respects but it's a tech demo that you really can't see anywhere else because of the animation systems at play. You can do stuff. I mean, I do some very sci-fi kind of thing where I can come home after a hard day, put on some classical music and go swim with 12 dolphins, you know, just kick back and just let, let the experience wash over me. So it, it's recognized because there's, there is no genre that accounts for this kind of thing. I showed the uh, I showed Ocean Rift to a friend of mine, and I walked him through a whole bunch of demos. And Ocean Rift was the one where he spent the most time in. Um, okay. Like cool. it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I was just you know letting him in there, and I come back twenty minutes later, and he's like, "Oh my God, it's been twenty minutes." <laughs> he's like, he was just completely in there. He he was just exploring, ha- hanging out, checking it out. And I I told him like I told him before going in like this is. An experience in which every time you go back in, it's going to be completely different because it's procedural. And he was just, my, his mind was blown. So so was mine. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very meditative, yeah. It, and also... Yeah, you can access the atmosphere. De- definitely. And I also see the future of nature documentaries perhaps having something to do here. or, or Because it's just, uh, it's just so much better to be able to be there, <laughs> like to see the dolphins yeah. in front of you and it, perhaps having Sir David Attenborough, you know, narrate over them while yeah, I'm absolutely. in there. I think okay. David Attenborough is working on something. I don't, I, I think it is actually, it's, it's probably going to be very similar to Ocean Rift, probably much higher production values um, and more of a, like a, a roller coaster ride. But, but certainly, yes, he is definitely involved in something I remember reading. Uh, there's a massive, there's huge potential here. I mean, I've only just scratched the surface. I, I, there was a couple of extinct animals in Ocean Rift as it currently exists. You know, the, I've I've created a, um, a mosasaur, which is an extinct, not a dinosaur. I mean, paleontologists keep telling me it's a it's a extinct marine reptile. It's pretty much a dinosaur. <laughs> it's this, you know, it's a huge kind of thing, the size of a a bus or two buses. Um, there's no other way of experiencing what it's like being in the water with something like that. You know, even if you switch off the the predation, you know, if you if you make it completely docile, like it's just swimming, this it's just awe inspiring to see something that big swim around you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so nature documentaries, especially if you if you get to photorealism and this kind of thing, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it, it would make an actual t- TV nature documentary just look completely dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the mos- mosasaur. Um, I think that was really cool for you to include because uh i think i'm very i'm a huge fan of dinosaurs and and i you know i know it's not a dinosaur but it looks like a dinosaur (laughs) it walks like it looks like a duck it walks like a duck um in that that particular animal uh i wonder is that is that the loch ness monster is that is that the famous it's it's similar it's it's like a it's a it's a thing with, with flippers that and a big mouth. I mean, it, it, I think it's it's closer, at least to the way it swims, to a actually we you know we don't actually know how it's how it swims. Maybe like there's three people on Earth that know, um, but it's 
you know, it's a, a mosasaur swim. I think it swims closer, at least an ocean reef, like a crocodile does. You know, it, it flicks its, it flicks backwards and forwards like a, you know, undulating like a snake almost. Um, the Loch Ness monster, I think, is a plesiosaur. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, which is a more, it's got a longer neck. It's like a really thin neck and a small, tiny little head, about the size of a horse's head, I think, but a huge body, the four fins. Um, I think eventually I'm going to make a Loch Ness level of Ocean Rift. You know, I, I just add these levels when I get time. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, lot, a lot of prehistoric stuff in the sea. That sounds so cool. Um, sorry to interrupt. I'm just like my excitement took me over because <laughs> <laughs> Loch Ness level ocean rift. Oh my god, <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. Um, yeah. So let's just ponder for a bit and, and indulge me. I apologize because I'm gonna take you down the rabbit hole for a quick sec. Um, okay. What is the po- what is the possibility? What is the uh, what what are the uh, how could it be possible that an animal like the Loch Ness monster how can it be plausible for it to survive? Like, is it, you know, it, 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 it's like, I know uh, it's, it's, first of all, do you think it's real? <laughs> no, no, okay. I've been to Loch Ness, no. Okay. I don't think there's, I, I, as a kid, obviously, I, I, I wished, I, I, you know, I truly believed that probably at one point that, yeah, there was something there. Um, no, sadly, I don't think they, I don't think they survive. Um, you know, there, there's probably stuff in the deep sea um, that is, crazily alien and crazily old but I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think anything big that needs you know daily diets of loads of fish to survive Fair um, enough. yeah in the mosasaurus did that one survive the dinosaur extinction that was 64 million years i don't old? know when it died out hmm. um it, i don't i don't actually i have genuinely no idea how old <laughs> it is i just know it's the you know it's 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 called predator x no is it called predator no it probably isn't called predator x um, that's a telosaur or something. Um, I don't know. I just I just searched top ten cool blisters and picked <laughs> the best ones. Really, I don't. You know, that's as far as I go. Well, Predator X is an amazing prison name. Like, imagine if you're that guy <laughs> in the prison. That's hey, don't mess with Predator yeah, X. Cool, yeah. He'll uh, <laughs> he'll take you back to the pl- uh, scene era. Uh, so yeah, uh, that that's fascinating. Just thinking about for me, thinking about like how much there is to know about the oceans and deep water places. Um, th- and that's where the allure of Ocean Rift comes to mind for me because <clears throat> there is so much to know about the oceans and we know nothing. It's like our, it's like our understanding of the ocean is sort of mirrors our understanding of the human brain. Like, cause there's so much yeah. to know about it. Like, yeah. And, and also space. Yeah. In space. Very little, you know. Yeah. Uh, do you think VR could help us uh, push forward our understanding and how, how so? I think it just certainly could be used as an educational tool. Um, there's some, there's some, you know, there's, there's all kinds of um, VR, you know, VR projects to do with, with education for the, for the underwater. I think somebody's doing out of Stanford, I think they're doing stuff with um, ocean acidification using um similar tech to ocean rift um there's certainly stuff you could for education and and just to to know about these animals both living you know uh or endangered or extinct um but it's it's just about basically i mean how many people get to visit the deep sea like james cameron and a few others um in vr technically you know you could you could you could do it after after 
you know, on a Sunday afternoon, you could just visit the deep sea for an hour. Um, so certainly, yeah, in the, in the future, it'd be amazing. Yeah, I like your taste in terms of where you went for designing your experiences. One was in space and the other one in the ocean, two places most people on Earth will never go to. <laughs> so that was a very good choice. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and, and so just looking forward, you, where do you see yourself in, in this VR uh, industry that is sort of you know, sprouting up. Um, where do you see yourself in two years, five years? What would you like to be doing? I genuinely don't know. I'm making it up as I go along. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I work I work on this stuff in my spare time wh whenever I can. I mean, I'm a university lecturer by day, so um, th there's times during the year where I can work a lot, times when I can't work at all, you know, but there's all kinds of research we're doing in this area. In terms of my actual, you know, pr spare time projects, I mean, Ocean Rift, you know, will come out for the Gear VR. I don't know if there will be, you know, enough people supporting that for it to be a viable business. I don't, I don't know where that will take me. I'm just riding the wave and seeing where it goes, really. Um, you know, eventually I'd love to, to develop all kinds of different ideas in VR, but um, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm kind of just, yeah, as I said, making it up as I go. And you're doing it very well. <laughs> so keep up, Thanks. keep up the good work, Thank man. Because it's, yeah, it, there's, it, and it just the potential that you've been able to unlock procedural animation for VR, uh, that's huge to me. Because one day, I, you know, you could have a metaverse of procedurally animated avatars, uh, you know, just where they could become so real and lifelike that you'd forget that they're not real that yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> certainly is that a is that something is that something that we should caution toward or is it something that we are humans we're ready for it like the the day i don't yeah i don't think we're, i don't think we're ready i don't <laughs> think we're ready for it we'll we'll cope i'm sure um, I think, you know, for animals, I mean, you know, they're just, they're just animals. Um, for humans, it's another matter. I mean, once have photoreal humans that, uh, have volume, have space, you know, have an actual presence and you introduce all the little fine muscles and stuff like that, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting future if, if all this actually happens. Uh, yeah, the, we can caution all we want, but it'll happen eventually anyway. Yeah. yeah. And are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I got lost in my own thought there. Uh, no, well, it was a, a very good thought to uh, get lost <laughs> in. I think it's because uh, it's it. How can we prepare if 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 at all for this? It's not. Is it impossible to prepare? I mean, the the one thing that I think is, in my mind, seems sort of some you know that we should look out for is you know how people mourn and cope with death. And if I can have, you know, a relative or someone close to me procedurally animated in VR and they pass away um, and, you know, and, and you know how you end up, you know, you, it's quite possible that you end up in very unstable emotional states of mind and yeah. you can end up, you know, just neglecting reality and spending all your time with your you know, uh, dead relative slash loved one, uh, because there might as well be real. Um, I, that's one thing, but, but there could be a whole zillion other things that could happen when, uh, when this technology ro rolls around. Uh, 
There's a very similar. There's that reminds me of. There's a a, a British um, program called Black Mirror that had a similar thing where I think a woman's boyfriend dies and she gets a mail order robot that has his personality taken from like you know thirty forty years of social media and so on. Yeah, it's it's a it's a frightening world. Um, you know. But is that a bad thing? Do you think it's a bad thing for someone? It's a bad thing in the in the actual um, Black Mirror episode. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a horror because. He's not the subtleties in him are not reproduced, and it drives her crazy. I mean, it, uh, it's it's an incredible piece of like sci-fi short story tra- telling. Um, um, but yeah, I think I think humans are very complex emotional creatures. I don't, I can't even begin to guess what would you know. People, everybody's different, uh, you know. Yeah, Black Mirror, by the way, is an amazing show. That is, yeah. it. it's, I saw, I only seen the first episode because it was free and I didn't want to torrent it. So I'm waiting to get it somehow yeah. off of Amazon. You because another five, you got another five to go. They're really good. It's, yeah, it's so hard to find in the US. Like, uh, uh, there's yeah. no channels running it. So you either got to buy it uh, and I can't because I'm cheap right now. But, or you <laughs> got to like torrent it and I can't because I'm honest. Yeah. Uh, and well, I'm not really, but I, I don't feel like th- taking the risk. It's just... Yeah, it's such a good show. I saw the first episode. It was insane. Like um, the one with the prime minister and he had to have sex with the pig. <laughs> one, yeah. Holy shit. That is insane, man. Like, yeah. and you, and the thing about them, that, that show is that they are, they really are a reflection of our current state of human evolution. Like the, that's, that's it, yeah. this is where we're at. And they're just showing the mirror that's in front mirror. of us. Yeah. Yeah, the one refers to a mobile phone or a you know a monitor screen. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's insane. It's it's so crazy. What have they done an episode on VR? Do you think they'll they'll do one? And what, what would it look like? I, I don't think they've done an episode on VR. They've done an episode on the logical conclusion of Microsoft achievements, um, where it rules your entire day. Um, every, you know from from when you wake up to when you go to sleep is all about achievements and gamification of life. There's certainly an amazing one about that, but uh, no, I don't think there's one about VR, but you know, there's a third season probably on the way. The gamification. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes. It's definitely the zeitgeist now. So I can imagine Charlie Brooker is, you know, the writer of it is, is certainly, um, yeah, it's, it's probably an influence. If you're a listener to the show, I highly recommend um, Black Mirror. It is just so crazy. Just and I saw the the like the first episode again. I need to watch the rest of that series. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can we can you talk a little bit more about this gamification of life? I mean, where where did it end up? Like, was it bad? And is it I, and it's happening already, right? Like, it's yeah. I don't I don't want to spoil it. Okay, it okay. It's in some crazy areas. It's kind of. Um, um, I don't remember what the episode is even called, but it, it's got a really nice title. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's such a good show. But, all right, moving on, because that is, um, uh, I'm not being paid by them to promote it. <laughs> <laughs> what is, you know, like, what is the, the worst thing that could happen to VR itself at this point? You know, is there anything, are there, do you envision any obstacles or any um, challenges to for it to become mainstream well you're going to assume that the technology will continue to improve i mean you know some of the best minds in the world are on it 
uh, and they've got the financial backing and you know and, and the community behind them so i'm sure you know what can be solved will be solved on that front in terms of human psyche it gets more difficult i don't know if you know i don't think anybody knows if vr will take off for the general public i mean it's easy for me as someone that's played video games since i could talk and in you know in graphics and obviously technologically minded to to welcome vr it doesn't mean that everybody will anecdotally i've shown ocean rift and variants of it to people in open days you know all ages from children up to adults to people that are not technologically literate and they all absolutely love it and most ask when they when and how can they buy it again you know you can't count your chickens i don't know if there's a future for this i think that's the main thing I will tell you there's a future because I, last night I or yesterday I played Team Fortress 2 uh, on my Oculus DK2 for eight hours straight. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I, I didn't shower. I didn't eat. <laughs> I barely got off my chair. I, I, I wasn't sitting. I was actually standing while playing for like eight hours straight. And I just drank water and ate bananas and almonds. And it was awesome. I don't regret it. I don't regret my life's choices. Uh, that was, um, it was so good because it's like I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm the heavy, and I like the grenadier, the the grenade launcher guy, and uh, yeah. you see the rockets flying past your face, and when someone shoots you an arrow, you get like an arrow stuck to your body, and you look down. Oh my god, I have an arrow on my chest. Like that is, <laughs> this is happening. It's insane. I and I, yeah. Um, did you have problems adjusting when you came back after eight hours? <laughs> I, my eyes were a little bit woozy, like, oh, dude, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, but it was it was so fun, and it was and it was okay. I, when I got back, I was like, all right, this is reality. I'm touching real fur. This is my dog. Uh, it, it worked out. Yeah. What's your what's yeah. your goal? Or what's your um, your uh, what's the longest you've spent in VR at this point? Um, yeah. Uh, when you record trailers for stuff, especially for Crashland, I mean, because it's procedural, mm -hmm. you know that the next take might be the take where the animal does something incredible as you shooting it, you know, when it dies and stuff like that. So you're always trying to make it, when you're making a trailer, there's like a thousand cuts for your piece of footage that, you know, sells the game. So there's always stuff like that. In terms of a video game, probably Elite. Elite, um, the, the new Elite Dangerous mm -hmm. game. I mean, I spent like three, four hours playing that uh, with very few breaks. And it's, you know, I was in space. I was flying in space for a few hours, which was which was amazing. Yeah, I need to get that game. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I just need uh, that. Uh, I, I need the, the controller set up, right? Like the actual flying joystick. Yeah, yeah. I've only got an Xbox controller, but I can only imagine how awesome it would be with the actual, yeah, with the flight <laughs> stick. I did it with a flight. I tried it with a flight stick uh, as VVR, and it is insanely immersive. It's like, oh my god, it's it's yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so awesome. I I need to get that game as well. Um, moving on, where do you think VR will lead us? Where is this road leading us to? If there was a road, and what would the end of the lo road look like for you? Um, it's like the end of the road. Actually, looks like the metaverse, basically. That's, that's pretty much well, you know, everyone's headed. Metaverse basically containing every experience you could have um, and it being shared. I guess that would be the eventual goal of VR, to have like a, a virtual existence, uh, you know, on top of, you know, basically like Facebook and all the other social media websites, but it being a tangible place you can visit psychologically. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's the end goal. What is the allure to that? Like, or how does that a better experience than what we already have right now? If I can play the devil's advocate. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually know. I, I'm not the biggest advocate of 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 the metaverse as an idea. It's not something I really dwelled on. I'm just kind of in, living in the moment, trying to do the the most interesting thing I can. Um, but where does it take us? Who knows? Um, down some some pretty interesting avenues, I think. Uh, especially, you know, with the way the planet is going, it's not exactly healthy at the moment. Um, yeah. So the future is quite dystopian, I think, to to be a bit pessimistic about things. Um, so people might escape into VR. You know, it might might be a good people. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, many sci-fi books and TV shows and films have, have pondered that idea. But I don't think there is an answer. Mm. It's funny how you mention you're not uh, particularly paying too much attention to the metaverse, and yet, sir, you are creating it. You are you are putting together building blocks that eventually will be in everyone's metaverse. That's, That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> we'll true, keep yeah. keep on doing that. Uh, your your work is more important, I think, uh, than than paying too much attention to this. So, the the next thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, uh, and. I lost it because I was so uh, yeah I lost it. What was I thinking about? <laughs> uh, it's okay. So your gaming background. Um, what's the? Give me your top five favorite games of all time. Oh, that's an awful thing to ask. Um, <laughs> it depends what mood I'm in. Um, I'll, okay, I'll just go off the top of my head. Okay. Monkey Island, Secret of Monkey Island. Okay. Uh, point and click adventure from the nineties. Um, Doom. Doom, Doom awakened me to kind of 3D graphics, basically. I remember vividly when I first saw it in high school. Uh, the Last of Us, which just came out, is probably the pinnacle in terms of storytelling. It actually has a proper story with characters, which is very rare. Um, the last two, man, um, I don't... That's a tough one. Half-Life 2. Um, and... I'm going to leave the last one as a wild card. Okay. Maybe I'll come back to the last one. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, I, so many to pick from. There are there are so many to pick one. I, it's true, but that's a very good choice. I've never played um, Monkey Island, unfortunately. Oh my god! Okay, it, I'm missing out. <laughs> I can see. Yeah, well, I suppose. Well, I played it. You know, it's difficult to 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 split it from nostalgia. I mean, I was 14 when I first played it. Um, mm. I don't know how it ages and whether you can you know approach it. I don't know if if I could go back and be spoiled. I don't know. But yeah, it, it forms a part of my life nice. uh, that I like. Yeah, yeah. my memories of Doom, for example, are when I was like eight years old and my grandpa had a computer and he used to play Doom. He used to play Wolfenstein. He used to play Command and Conquer. Uh, those were some of my memories. And when I used to watch him play Doom, I would just get scared from the monsters and go away. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I was, I was about a few years older, so I, I, I just was just there in awe, just, just staring at it that such a thing was possible. Yeah. I didn't even ask to play it, you know, I just just watch. <laughs> and then the, yeah, it's, I, I probably should get, should have played it more. Um, and then the, the next one, even, by the way, even Doom BFG edition, like the scary, you know, next generation Doom that got created and like, I think came out yeah. 2000 something, 2009, I'm not sure. Um, I didn't have the balls to play that either. Like, I, like being old, like I was probably like 20 or 19. I was like, nope, I'm noped out yeah. of that one. Cause it was just like, 
I I don't like monsters. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> yeah, well, that was originally supposed to be a VR game, wasn't it? I mean, until the all the mess happened uh-huh. with with uh, Bethesda and Carmack and stuff like that. Yeah, that was that was supposed to be one of the launch titles for the Oculus. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole Zenimax nonsense. Um, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, then the Last of Us, by the way. So the last, the, I played it uh, like five months ago, and it took me a while to convince my girlfriend to try to watch it or like you know watch me play it. And she, she was like, "No, the, it, it's scary. I don't want. I don't like scary games." <laughs> yeah. And then she got into the story, and then I I couldn't stop playing it because she wanted to get to the end. It's that good. <laughs> it's that story is so good. You. Uh, yeah. You, that's you have good taste, good sir. Very good taste thanks, in gaming. Thanks. Um, yeah. Your your number four, I I can't recall anymore. <laughs> Half Life Two. Two, yeah. Uh, Half Life Two, I got through it like a month ago and or two months ago, something like that. And it was for the first time, and it was a good good experience. It's so much. Uh, you can definitely tell when something is made as a labor of love because it just it's it becomes transcendent like through time like it's it's got yeah. it created so long ago and then yet it's still so good it's uh it's a testament to that it's uh, absolutely a masterpiece yeah yeah um and you know for you for example like what are your future projects are you thinking about sticking to ocean rift you know uh a, you know adding more features and all that stuff or or what's what's next for you I don't know where Ocean Rift will end up. I think I've got to polish up all the... I've got about 10 habitats that I'm working on right now, which basically means 10 star animals. Once they're out of the way, I'll probably... You know, I've been working on it for like nine months now, every night, you know, evenings, weekends and so on. So eventually I'll burn out. So I'm probably going to leave it at some point, at least for a while. Um, I've got a lot, a lot of different on the go. I'd, I'd love to return to Crashland, I think. I'm hoping... So I'm getting a STEM system, which is the wireless motion control device. I'm hoping to get that, you know, re relatively soon. I'll start some experimentation there. I think it's going to take something like Oculus to come out with a motion controller before I return to Crashland as a potential project where, you know, I spend all my time on it. But I'd absolutely love to go back there mm -hmm. uh, and explore the procedural animation for a more, a more interactive experience, you know, where you're actually, there's gameplay. Yeah, just following up with this sort of subject, you know, as an independent developer, what are your different, what are the sort, the different avenues that you've explored to monetize in this in this space now? Like, um, you know, how can you, how do you make money here now? Now that you're doing I, this? Yeah, well, currently, you know, this is a hobby. I mean, I don't make anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's some. I can write up the procedural animation stuff I've done as research papers eventually, um, once the, once they've settled on some generic thing. Um, to make money, I don't know. There is no, there currently is no store. You can put a PayPal up on a website, but there's no really much point. I mean, how many DK2s are there in the world? Um, when the Gear VR comes out, when it eventually releases, um, if people start buying it, yeah, certainly there'll be a market there. In terms of monetization, I don't know what to do. I mean, Ocean Rift will have a free version, which will contain, you know, a substantial amount of habitats. They'll I'll probably sell the complete experience with more animals um, eventually. Um, but yeah, I haven't really thought about how I'd monetize it. I'd probably sell it as one complete thing rather than it being some kind of microtransaction thing where you can buy the Loch Ness level for a dollar or something. You know, it'll probably be just simply because I don't have the time to, to spend 
coding that kind of thing up more than anything, mm-hmm. um, even if I wanted to. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Until there's a market there, these decisions are hypothetical, I guess. Yeah, and how does you know you, you're you're independent, but like, what are your are you trying to start a company? Are you trying to just you know stay independent? Are you trying to find yourself working for a, a bigger VR company eventually? Like, what are your are, are, is that sort of stuff up in the air? Are you are you riding the wave? Uh, so I founded a company called Pixelica with a bunch of friends, um, a bunch of colleagues from the university. So we have some research projects. I mean, Ocean Rift technically will come out on the Pixelica, but it, it predates it. It's basically all, all of it is my work. But we are looking at some future projects. Um, most of it at the moment is research that will come out of procedural animation and AI and stuff. It's too early to talk about what they'll become, if they'll become anything. But certainly I'm exploring avenues. Um I don't think I'd ever work for another company. I, you know, the main draw for me is I can imagine something and then if I really spend the effort and time, I can make it real. That's the main draw for me for VR is the idea that I can push the boundary, that I can create stuff, you know, really cool stuff myself. Um, but yeah, as I said, I'm just riding that wave and seeing where it goes at the moment. You are riding it well, well, and I hope you keep doing it. And I gotta thank you for your time and your patience for because my questions, some of them were kind of weird. Oh, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> um, how can people stay in touch? How can they support you and follow what you're doing? Uh, I'm on Twitter, SFA OK, so you can follow me there. Um, that's p- pretty much. I'll I'll link up to my blog and stuff there from time to time when I have a spare time to you know write about this stuff. Um, Ocean Rift will come out for the Gear VR and I'm sure for the Oculus next year. Uh, just just keep on, you know, um, following what I do really and support any way you can. Uh, well, th- that was the podcast. I thank you once again. You have been a true scholar, gentleman of virtual reality. And... Cheers, thank you.